You're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, which is all about beauty without the BS. If you're interested in how the worlds of beauty and wellness are intertwined, or you're obsessed with daily rituals of skincare and self-care, or you just want to know the latest when it comes to new beauty, this is for you. I'm your host, Sharice Kenyon. This week's guest is London-based medical herbalist and director of Forage Botanicals, Natasha Richardson. Natasha is also the author of the Your Period Handbook and advises women on holistic health for their menstrual cycles. I was really excited to have Natasha on because not only is she an expert on periods, she has also conducted a major amount of study on how race and gynecology have been intertwined throughout history. In this episode, I wanted to find out how Natasha's own experience of debilitating periods led her to studying it in depth, her advice for both young women and premenopausal women on what to look out for in their periods, and if there's such a thing as being too tolerant of pain. Natasha also shares how much stress can affect how we transition into menopause and why we need to talk more about things such as polycystic ovarian syndrome and even poo. I think it's a brilliant learning episode for women and men everywhere, so feel free to share. My morning routine is is largely dictated by my son. I kind of like have this time in the morning where I'm just like, right, let's just do whatever you need, get you out the door, and then mum time starts. (laughs) (laughs) How old is he then? So he's uh, two and a half now. yeah so I just do whatever he wants of me for the first like hour and then um and then I will start the day with a cup of tea always (laughs) um a cup of tea and believe it or not now that I'm a mum brushing my teeth if I've brushed my teeth then I'm until winner it's like four o'clock in the afternoon you're like yeah yeah showers hair probably not not gonna happen but brushing my teeth Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you a coffee person? Are you um I try to have a um I was making this lovely tea in the morning that's actually usually gets called coffee. It's a barley cup, it's a coffee yeah. alternative. Yeah. And um I make that with a little bit of medicinal mushrooms added in and some milk and um a little bit of dandelion root powder and I find that that just it really helps to start me up on something that's balancing my blood sugar levels okay and then I tend to eat better as a result if I start with that I need that can you give me like a little recipe because it's so true what you said like if I I tend I've I used to be a sugar in my coffee person Mm. and I've I've done really well I don't do it anymore apart from maybe if I have an extra one later in the day but I would find that if I had sugar first thing in the morning it could really send me looking for sugar for the rest yes that's it like it sets me up for the rest of the day I was constantly want the next hit yeah (laughs) it's really bad and it took me a while to realize like what breakfast things do that for me like um I didn't realize that bagels if I had a white bagel in the morning oh I just eat terrible for the rest of the day so true yeah because it's like white processed flour isn't it yeah so then once I've had that I'll let that settle for probably like another hour and then not really have true breakfast for till two hours after I've woken up and right now I'm experimenting with um making overnight oats on a Sunday 
and then freezing them all and just getting them out the night before each day seeing if that That's works then. so you make a big batch and yeah. then squeeze it into individual amounts yeah so if I'm not around or I like get it wrong there's no wastage because it's all frozen that's so good. I need to get some more tips from you because I, it only clicked to me today that you're amongst, you know, the very things that you work in or know of. You are a herbalist. Yeah, I trained as a, her- a medical herbalist um, as my first degree when I was like 20. Um, I had a part time job during the summer, like after I finished school at Nils Yard Remedies, which mm-hmm. is where I discovered like all these things everything comes together (laughs) yeah and I ended up working for them for six years whilst I was studying um as well so yeah it was a wonderful compliment and the medical herbalism that I did was a three-year degree at Lincoln University as you've gone back a bit I do like to find out from people as you know as a female in this world you often get bombarded with images of beauty and I just wanted to know for you like how old were you or where were you when you first clicked that there's this thing out there I remember like when I was um, growing up as a young girl that I really wasn't interested in makeup and like girly things I didn't like that at all um pink fluffy no and then um I was like went through like a depressed goth teen phase And I used makeup then as sort of like just a fun, expressive tool. It was like really over the top. I would like spend ages doing like using like a liquid eyeliner to do like a squiggly design down my face. Like, I don't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Really in right now, by the way. Right. Oh, my God. All the stuff I was doing is back in. I'm like, oh, my God. So after the goth phase. After my goth phase, (laughs) which was largely informed by Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like what vampires wore. Um, Then I like went to Nils Yard Remedies and um, learned about how you can look after your skin naturally and how much crap is in normal products. And yeah, it was a massive eye opener. And um, I was really ecologically minded in terms of recycling and, and I'd understood the concept of global warming by then, but I hadn't realised how much what's inside of our products was contributing. I'd just kind of seen it as like a packaging thing, I think, till then. Yeah. I think a lot of us do that. It's like packaging and information and the information that's on the packaging. But it's even for me more recently, I've learned about how certain chemicals um, can affect like different ethnic minorities when it comes to different types of cancers and but when it's just there on the shelf you know I don't think we take it into account massively no and it's quite difficult for companies to get all of that across it's very complex was it around those times that you started having because you know, um, the information that I've been sent about you, you know, you heavily focus on issues that affect women, such as um, mm. menstrual cramps, like extreme um, issues. And I wanted to know, was that rooted, you choosing that direction, was that rooted in in your experience from an early age? No, it was 
I actually had unproblematic periods for a long time and it wasn't still I was at uni that I had really troublesome periods and um, I realized during my three years of training that there wasn't a lot of options really for women and and a lot of the time I would go to the doctor and they'd be like well we'll just watch and wait and see what happens and you know we can always put you on the contraceptive pill if you if you really want to and um I was like I don't understand what's actually happening they're like yeah (laughs) um you know unless you're like unless it's incredibly dangerous to your to your health I feel like there's a lot of just like ignoring that goes on um so I discovered through my own experience of having really it got worse and worse like and it became really debilitating where I I couldn't go out for that first day of my period because of the cramping and um I remember just thinking like well everyone says it's painful so I guess this is the period pain that everyone's been talking about and I was like well I guess I just gotta deal with it then and it slowly slowly became more aware that not everybody has to like take a day off every month and through my training as like a herbalist as we started to learn more about women's health I was like oh okay maybe this is a sign of something else then and wanted to look more into it and the doctors were sort of like it could be this thing called endometriosis but the kind of tests that you have to have in order to find out if it is are quite invasive. So unless you're really suffering, you might not even want to have the test, which I thought was fair. Like mm. I, I, even now looking back on it, um, I don't really feel like I needed to have a laparoscopy, mm. um, which is like where they put a little camera inside yeah. and take a biopsy and find out what it is that's going on. Um, because like having that could leave adhesions and potentially interfere with my fertility and I was like well it's not really worth I'm not at that point where it's worth that so I carried on trying to treat it with herbs and and making lifestyle dietary changes instead and and found that I could make it almost completely go away and I was like well I don't really need to know what's causing it if I've made it made it go away then I must have made it go away So what did you do? Because um, I also wanted to go back to that point when you said if it's if it's if you're not suffering that much, it's like the levels of suffering I think is so it's really down to the individual. Yeah, it is. And like you don't know how much is it that I'm just being a pansy and how much is it that like uh, I used to think, oh, I've got really strong, like high level of of pain tolerance and actually I I still saw that as a problem like I was too tolerant of pain um it it didn't debilitate me enough was what I thought to begin with (laughs) um and then I was like no this isn't right I shouldn't have to be taking a day off and what happened was I became really anxious of that first day and not really knowing when it was going to happen. And I'd be like, well, shall I make plans that week? Shall I not make plans that week? Shall I um, only make plans that I can cancel? Should I be somewhere where I know that there's going to be a toilet nearby if I need to go? And so I would spend like two weeks of every month thinking, when's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? What am I going to do? 
and that snowball and anxiety kind of effect was what really was the key for me being like right this isn't okay anymore and the doctors were kind of like okay so your pain level severe and severe is like if you can't go about a normal daily life right like if you feel like you have to just be stationary while you're in pain you couldn't you can't move around you can't concentrate on other things um then that's like pain you shouldn't have to be experiencing um a kind of like normal um acceptable level of cramping is that you know that it's happening but you can still work you can still see friends you can still hold a conversation with somebody um and if you were to take a painkiller it would probably go away mine was severe enough that if I took a painkiller it wouldn't do anything and I would have a couple of hours where I would just be like lying on the floor in severe pain and unable to move and I didn't want to talk I couldn't I couldn't really talk to people um but it was just a couple of hours with someone that's got endometriosis those few hours last days and and sometimes can be the majority of their cycle if it's really bad um because it's no longer really about them menstruating it's more about a general state of inflammation that's there all the time yeah um so you know we queried that it might be endometriosis at the time but I turned it around so I don't think it was a problem and then I ended up getting pregnant just fine so well I definitely want to know what you did but first of all I had to ask you have you seen any of the TikToks where the men are using oh my god yes what's your reaction to that because some of them I'm like you need to it's like on the lowest level and they're just yelping and I don't understand it I like I want to feel I want to feel it myself and be like okay yeah that is like the period pain I get because I just feel like they can't possibly be experiencing what I experience well whatever it is it's hurting them and yeah I I feel it'd be good if all men could try it because I definitely feel like Period pain is just, you know, they used to call it woman's trouble. Like it's what you yes. deal with and you deal with it and you go to work every day with it. And you could know, you could, like you said, you could be so anxious that something's going to happen that day. That's going to af- affect you. You might have to leave work. It might be that bad. Um, but we just, we just get on with it. I think because women go through childbirth and things like that, we're obviously evolved in a different way to men. Mm. we can handle more and I just think it would be so great if men could feel the same pain because I honestly think if men had periods they would take time off it would be within the system like two days off a month yeah and there are countries that have menstrual leave as part of their policy um I think it's in France they have menstrual leave policies and it's something that I have as part of my company even though I'm the only employee right now. <laughs> I had to write my own, right? So recently I got investment and I had to write my own contract for my own, co- for my company employing me, which I've never yeah. put in place before. And I was like, I'm going to give myself two days off every month if I need it. And I just work the days in lieu. Yeah. Like, you know, just why not have the flexibility, especially now that we've all done working from home. There is no reason why companies shouldn't have menstrual leave and menopausal leave. Like if a woman just feels like she's too 
ill that day for whatever reason they should just be able to say so's not up for it today (laughs) I'll work on Saturday yeah I mean maybe even the way the working world has changed during COVID maybe that will like make room for these kind of changes now because people are getting their work done I think a lot of companies are like we can't trust you unless we see you at that desk that is totally Um, what it was yeah and also there should be more flexi working um, positions for parents as well. I think that, that there's no excuse for it now. No, no. And a lot of companies have found that they've actually saved a load of money on rent. So, yeah. But tell me about, like, I really want to know as a herbalist, what did you, and obviously it's not like we're saying everyone should go and do the same things, but I would love to know, how did you go about dealing with your own pain then from the herbal aspect? Well, one of the first things that I did was just record what was happening, just keep a record of what was happening, rate how much pain I was experiencing and when, and when I was getting the periods, for how long for. And I think this was actually around about the time that I started to um, take my temperature in the mornings and chart when I was ovulating as well. So I really had a very good grasp Mm -hmm. on my symptoms and where they were in my menstrual cycle um and then I started to see in that a pattern where if I'd had a stressful month my period pain was worse and if I'd had a lot of sugar in the two weeks before my cycle my period came I had worse pain so there were things that I was eating and the way that I was living where I could correlate the things were linked and once I've made that connection then it's like hard it's hard not to make the change once you've realized that it's there. Um, so yeah, I just changed a few habitual things and I had a herbal blend that I was working with. I think I had a pain blend, but I never really found them that useful at the time. For me, it was always like what prep I'd done in at least the two weeks before a period as to what the experience was like. So now I like teach people that your period isn't just something that's happening that day it's the result of the last four weeks I have heard that before and that whole sugar thing I need you to tell me more because I definitely have a sweet tooth and mm, I'm sure you know when it comes to your period the things that you crave can often be the processed things full of sugar and mm. I found out recently that like even though you're so tempted and it's cravings and it's calling out it's the worst thing you can do for like the next period or how your period just turns out. Is it because sugar is linked to inflammation or? Yeah. So sugar is linked to inflammation and it's because of how, um, how sugar spikes your insulin repeatedly throughout the day and you end up on this roller coaster ride of sugar highs and lows, which then creates stress in the body and inflammation and, it can imbalance your hormones as well. Um, it's something that's seen in a pre-diabetic um, problem called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Often there is an insulin resistance issue there, which is l- leading to or adding to and fueling the PCOS. Yeah, I've got, I know someone that deals with it and I've been really trying to tell her if, if she could just try it to cut out certain things for a few weeks because she's on she's been on medication for a really long time and I'm just like mm. 
it could be good for you. Like, you know, I, I haven't had it, but I've read quite a bit on how PCOS, you, there's a lot that you could do yourself before you maybe have to go on, you know, medication for the rest of your life. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to PCOS, especially in the medical community, which is really, like, bizarre. Um, <laughs> the last place you would have it. But um, um, I've seen PCOS, like, turn around with dietary changes and lifestyle changes because the other thing that spikes your blood sugar levels is cortisol during the day. So um, if you're not also aware of how to relax which 99% of the population oh, yeah. aren't, um, then that's also contributing to it. And so I find with my PCOS patients that if it wasn't their diet, it was because they were actually going through long-term stress. What if it's both? That's what I've just clicked. I think it's, it's both. Yeah, it's and both. so the stress can cause you bad, bad eating habits because you're too busy to make yourself proper food so you then you want instant energy which is going to be your sugary stuff and yeah and it's a similar thing when you're premenstrual you want sugary things because it's an instant energy hit and in the premenstrual phase you go through a naturally lower energy portion of the cycle and that's like just totally unacceptable in our society which is based around productivity and doing 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 and yeah so it's the coffee and the sugar, which undoubtedly affects, I think it affects cortisol as well, doesn't it? Um, caffeine. Yeah, so that should be producing little spikes of cortisol during the day too, theoretically. And also the um, caffeine content of those things uh, is uh, irritating to the nerves, should we say? <laughs> I need a whole schedule. <laughs> I'm just looking at I I would say like don't ever try and cut things out try and add things in so think of a replacement have that instead I always used to teach my patients like if you add in all these healthy habits you'll have no room you'll have no time for the unhealthy ones I love that I I already feel like I need to get you on for a part two so (laughs) (laughs) seriously this has been so enlightening already um Can you tell me, in your experience, what is the biggest myth affecting women's bodies, um, menstruation, etc.? What's the number one myth that you come across most often? Probably, um, and this would probably be because this is what I'm researching right now, the one that I see a lot is people being told you can have the contraceptive pill and it will regulate your periods. Okay, so that's not true? No. It's a misnomer, it's a misunderstanding of how the contraceptive pill works and, and it's what I'm, like, yeah, knee-deep in researching right now is, like, understanding where does that idea come from? Why do people think that? Um, because when you take the con- when you have a menstrual cycle every day, your hormones are on a different level. When you take a con- contraceptive pill, your hormones are at exactly the same level every day that you're taking it, aside from the placebo days or a break. Depends on the design of the pill. So doctors will quite frequently say, we can give you the contraceptive pill, it will regulate your periods and that will relieve you of your PCOS or um, sometimes endometriosis has irregularities, but it will definitely help with pain levels or, um, yeah. It gets given as an um, answer for a lot of female health problems. Yeah. When really the underlying 
cause isn't being addressed when you do that. And I see, um, I see in practice, and you have to bear in mind that I will see the most strange circumstances and the most unusual um, problems yeah. because of the nature of me being a herbalist means that I'm the, like the last thing that people think of usually they've tried everything else mm-hmm. and they're like the doctor didn't have anything to say the nutritionist didn't have anything to say I'm here for you <laughs> I'm like right last chance. yeah <laughs> so of the strange things I see um I would see people who had struggled to get their fertility back after coming off the pill. And then when we go through their health history, we realize that actually they'd started taking the pill, not for a contraceptive, but because they wanted to regulate their periods. And, you know, I have to like say, well, actually you just, you've never dealt with the probably PCOS that you had to begin with. It's so funny because I, I first went on the pill for skin because I had yeah, that's a big one forever. Mm. and I remember I can't remember how many years ago it was now but I went and I said I want to come off the pill and I was so surprised that the nurse really was against it she's like what for she was very kind of like spoke to me in like a slightly condescending tone and as a fellow woman I was like shouldn't you be like just cool with it like yeah she's like we wouldn't give it to you if it was bad for you and I was like Oh my god! I, I, I want a break. It's in my body. It's been in my body for so long. Does my own hormonal system even know how to behave without the pill in it? I want to mm. come up, and she was really not supportive. And I was just like, "Is it just because they make money from it, or is it just a blind belief that it can't hurt?" When we've seen, you know, studies that show that it can hurt in different ways. I think that there is a a a lot of. Um, indoctrination when you're part of that system to believe that those things are safe and it's probably very difficult when you're part of it to see differently mm-hmm. um just like when I was in <laughs> you know, when I was in Neil's Yard Remedies I was indoctrinated to think that you, you, you you've got to use a cleanser toner and a moisturizer you can't <laughs> on the other side of that I'm like I'm lucky if I wash my face every day and, really? it's, and I'm okay <laughs> I've survived yeah. <laughs> so yeah I think that you can get a little bit brainwashed when you're part of the system that's just part of it and and I I'm a believer that you know most people got into it for the right reasons and they, they wanted to help people and and so it's not their fault yeah I was just I just felt like she didn't need to say that. Like, it's my decision. Yeah. One less person on the pill, really? you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember going in and as a teen, like, or maybe I was in my 20s by then, but I remember going in and asking to be fitted for a cervical cap or a diaphragm or something, one of those. And she looked at me like, what? <laughs> want to put a pill on your tongue? <laughs> why would you want that and I was like you know so that I can have a barrier method that's not yeah. a contraceptive pill I just remember thinking like why am I even answering this question right now that is yeah. absolutely none of your business yeah. just give it to me <laughs> just give me what I want yeah but that's the thing it's women's bodies isn't it it's like so many different organizations telling you what you can and can't do with it 
yeah and I, I think that that's going to be maybe a third of my dissertation is just writing about um women's bodies and agency and how like the contra- contraceptives have always been in the hands of typically men yeah. <laughs> and you know how has that influenced how we connect with our bodies I, I think I feel like I was taught that the reproductive side of my body was a, a side of my body that I was too inept to under- ever understand and that I you know, that's doctor's territory, that. <laughs> so old school, like, yeah. like from the 50s or something, really. Like, don't you worry about that? Yeah, it is very reminiscent of the 50s. and um, But in the 50s, it was so brazenly out there. It was like, re- to us as modern people, we'd be like, what the f- you can't say that. <laughs> like the whole hysteria thing and... Yeah, yeah, so... Um, it goes back to the Victorians, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gone further than that. I'm only on back to wow. the 1800s. Yeah. What is the number one thing that you would like women to either be curious about or just know more about when it comes to their own bodies? I'd like them to know more about like what a period means. Like, I'd like them to be period literate, like, so if you, whenever you go to the bathroom, you're like a detective. You're like, okay, what are we dealing with today? Got a good poo? Got a good colour wee? Like, what's happening in here? That's me. That's me. <laughs> Always back there. We all yeah. Back. Me and my husband was like, did you look back? You know. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I think it's in Germany they have like a toilet design that captures your poo so that you can inspect it before you flush it. <laughs> But it's good because, again, that's a yeah. thing, isn't it? People just, like, want it gone. Like, get the period over with. Don't talk about the period. Totally don't talk about who. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's so much that you can learn by literally just looking in your knickers whenever you go to the bathroom and just figuring out, like, you. Could, I started to understand where I was in my cycle. I would know if I was ovulating or not. If, um, if I was, like getting maybe towards getting some thrush then I could see that kind of change happening you can also spot bacterial vaginosis changes um you can tell if you are um in the fertile phase of your cycles um by how much cervical mucus and the quality of the cervical mucus that you're making that day the color of your period can give you clues as to the health of your menstrual cycle as a whole um, there's so much to be learned. Could you give um just because I'm aware of like a lot of young girls, they don't have any information, like for whatever reason. Because I even remember when I when I started my period, I didn't know. And I used to read loads of books and stuff, but I didn't I didn't know. So I was scared to death. So I've always wanted to ask somebody like you, like if it was a young, a young girl what could what should they look out for that could be you know indicators that something is not quite right so yeah your menstrual cycle um should generally be regular within three days either side of your of the time that you're expecting it will kind of happen within a three-day window usually and if it shifts massively like five or six days away from when you were expecting it 
then it's likely that there's a cause for that. And the most common one is stress or illness or travel. But most importantly, in the first few years of having your menstrual cycles, they're irregular anyways. So (laughs) that's normal. Um, And but you'd expect it to come into a regular cycle. I think it's after two years. Three is like quite a long, a long stint, but still possible to be totally normal. Um, And so that's fine. They also can be um, unusually heavy or unusually light to begin with. It's quite tricky in those initial years to spot a problem period Mm -hmm. because they're still getting into the flow, so to speak. But if you are finding that you're bleeding so much that you just like can't even keep up with the amount of like sanitary towels and stuff you're trying to use and stuff. And it's just becoming um, like you wouldn't be able to sit for an hour in a classroom. Then that's not okay. Definitely seek some help. Um, If you're getting pain, which you have to be home for because you can't keep a conversation or, um, you know, you can't even stand upright. That's not okay. Definitely seek help for that. Um, and if you are having extremely light periods where you like bleed a little bit pink blood for a day, mm-hmm. then you should probably go and see a doctor about that just to ask them like when would you expect to start to get more of a regular flow? It can take a little while when you're in those initial years. But you're aiming for a period that where you're bleeding for probably like two to four days and you're seeing red blood for those days it's perfectly normal for it to like peter out towards the end where you get less flow and also for it to go a bit brown that's just generally a sign that the flow slowed down and that the blood is oxidizing that, that's totally normal like this kind of just like if you ever have a wound that it yeah. as it air dries like in a scab it goes brown right yeah yeah it's exactly that um but what you're not wanting to see is like really big um clumps of blood they're like they're referred to as clots um and you don't want to be seeing gray color in your vaginal um discharge Mm -hmm. that's usually a sign of like bacterial vaginosis and you don't want to be seeing cottage cheesy kind of textures that's not good either that's probably a sign of thrush um so yeah there's a lot of variation with normal and you can only really know that if you pay proper attention and write, write notes for like a few years. Yeah. So basically we should all be taking much more notice of what's happening down there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think everyone should be taught how to chart their cycles really in depth um, and, you know, try and do as much of that as you can for a few years. And then once you've done that, and that's, that's, something that you're aware of you don't have to keep charting in order to know where you're at yeah yeah I did I charted for like I don't know five years on and off and um when I decided that I wanted to get pregnant I wasn't actually taking my temperature I just knew when I was ovulating and yeah so we got it right really quickly okay so let's go let's go to the other side of the spectrum what can women normally expect of their periods when menopause starts kicking in? Like, is the period one of the first things to be affected or is it elsewhere? No, I don't think, hmm, I think it's difficult sometimes to to tell 
it should start all happening at once really um so you will generally start to have less periods but sometimes women suddenly have shorter cycles and it's like a little race to the end (laughs) 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 um yeah so that sometimes happens but generally they slow down and get more irregular and it can be difficult to know when it's going to happen so you should constantly have menstrual pads and stuff with you yeah um but you're likely to also experience um, hot flushes and uh, mood changes because you're the way that you post the way that you work with insulin means that you're also getting peaks and troughs during the day that aren't necessarily related to what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can get mood swings that seem to just be like random, but are actually in sync with. Um, I can't remember which hormone exactly, but there's a hormone that goes through this new cycle and hot flashes and mood swings can go alongside them. But menopause shouldn't be problematic. So I don't know what culture it is, but there's a culture that has lots of different words for the menopause Mm -hmm. so that you can describe the different type of menopause you're having. And one of the terms is an an unproblematic menopause, an uneventful menopause, I think it's called. That would be cool. (laughs) yeah it's a normal natural thing and it shouldn't really cause you problems and the fact that it so normally does in our society Mm. doesn't mean that's just what you should expect you're a woman (laughs) it means that there's probably something wrong with society (laughs) not just the women (laughs) how sexist well I I won't lie I've always been fearful of menopause because it's literally like menopause with a capital m in fact the whole world the <laughs> word is capitalized because it's the end i i, I hear it. it's the end of your life as you know it and yeah things are going to dry up and yeah your skin's going to change you're going to be feel chafed all the time fall out. yeah yeah it's going to fall out yeah yeah so what's <laughs> a, what is there an average menopause where it's not that bad or um, I think that from what I've seen, like studies on hot flushes in particular, was that the amount of stress someone has experienced in the two years before they start to transition is more of a predictor for how bad hot flushes will be than anything else. Wow. So it wasn't how old they were, it wasn't how much sugar they ate, it was how much stress they'd been under for the previous two years. So it's it's a really long thing that we're talking about. It's a long process. It can last between like five and ten years. Like it's a transition, Um, just like you transitioned in, (laughs) transition out. Are there any tips that you would give women to like aid that transition, like herbal tips or just change in lifestyle? Yeah. So like everyone should be more aware of adaptogens because. They are a group of herbs that help us to adapt to stress better. And um, by taking adaptogens, you can prevent a lot of stuff happening. They um, help people to recover from PTSD and recover from burnout. Um, But if we were using them more regularly, then potentially we could stave off having a really bad menopause and really bad hot flushes and 
so when you say adapted, would that be ashwagandha? Is one is ashwagandha? Yeah. Okay. Give me some That's more my favorite ones. One. <laughs> oh, is it your favorite? Because <laughs> okay, uh, ashwagandha to... is one of it's the only one that I know of that's relaxing and adaptogenic almost all of them are energizing and adaptogenic um and actually I find that a lot of people don't need that (laughs) (laughs) because energy can probably add stress I'm guessing yeah yeah and if someone's really burnt out then getting that little stimulation can be a bit much Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast and feel free to slide into the DMs. Do please like, subscribe and review. It really helps Beauty Me be seen.